what I'm wondering about is uh, if I can even uh, if I can even use. I know on my phone thing it can like cut people out, so I almost wonder if I can get do something with this. But maybe probably not. Maybe it don't really matter. All Adri's stuff, so it just doesn't matter. Beautiful flowers and things. So. <laughs> It's always fun, but it, I I don't know. Sometimes I think it's distracting too. It's like because you're always like fading in and out, and like oh, last true, true. last night with this chair, that chair over there, it kept like <laughs> you'll you have to wait till I I post that video, but it was like, really <laughs> oh, <laughs> it okay. just kept like beaming in. It was like chair uh, disappear. I was like that's that's weird. <laughs> that's because Grandpa's sitting in the chair. Grandpa sitting in the window. Risk. Risk is our business. That'll work. What happened? Dorothy was founded to seek out new life. Well, there it sits. Oh! Ah! Oh. <laughs> Six. We're not afraid of diversity. We don't persecute it. We embrace it. Well, at least I won't die alone. Join our Federation of Planets. And reach for the stars. Those were the days. Okay, well. <laughs> Welcome back to the Retrek Review. My name is Will. This is my co-host, Caleb. Caleb. <laughs> On this channel, this uh, show, we cover Star Trek. We watch a new episode of Star Trek each week. And this week, we are watching an episode from Star Trek Strange New Worlds. The episode entitled Children of the Comet, which is number two in the series. It first aired May 12th, 2022. It was written by Henry Alonzo Myers and Sarah Tarkoff and directed by Maya Virilio. So the synopsis for it was, while on a survey mission, the USS Enterprise discovers a comet is going to strike an inhabited planet. They try to reroute the comet, only to find that an ancient alien relic buried on the comet's icy surface is somehow stopping them. As the away team try to unlock the relic's secrets, Pike and Number One deal with a group of zealots who want to prevent the USS Enterprise from interfering. So that's our synopsis. But before we get into the breakdown of the episode, let's hear what Caleb thought of the episode. This was a great episode in my opinion okay like i i really enjoyed it honestly it's uh it kind of brings you back to things that make star trek like cool like for me yeah it's like this kind of like not really like important plot piece but it shows you like what the enterprise is like doing in space like why they're out there it's yeah. like help help certain species and stuff like that and 
yeah it's just cool it kind of it kind of reminded me like it could have been like a standalone episode of like enterprise something yeah. like that would happen you know yeah and it was kind of cool but yeah it had a lot of uh had a lot of action and you got to see more of like kind of characters that you you saw in the first episode like kind of get their legs a little bit more yeah like yeah it definitely has uh it definitely has a standalone feel there's some stuff that carries over obviously from the first mm-hmm. episode but it's definitely the nice new thing where it's serialized television like you know it's the yeah. big thing is like every you gotta watch every episode but it has also that nice episodic feel which is traditional trek enterprise yeah. got away from it a little bit by season two um, and especially when you get into the Zindi stuff, but mm-hmm. doesn't really, it didn't really hurt the show too badly, but no, not really, but you know, going forward, all of the other stuff is like, Hey, you need to have seen everything and it's an overarching like story. So that's like new. That's just how television is now. Yeah. There's no more yeah, like tune in and just watch whatever's happening next week. And who cares if you didn't see it? It's all like, you better have seen every single episode. Otherwise you're missing out. I don't know which what I like better either, but it's I, I I go either way on that. I think I think for me, I think for Star Trek, I think when you watch once we get into like the older stuff, like the 60s material and the 80s material. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's like Smallville. It's like it was what they would term it as like freak of the week. Yeah, so well, yeah, it's like every, yeah. you know, and so on the That's show, cool. they would call it like alien of the week. And it's just that's all it is. It's like, okay, what are we getting into yeah. this week? And that's X you know? X Files was known for that. Right. Okay. They so did X-Files. like they did yeah. like a monster. And then like the next week it was more about like Mulder's story, like fighting his sister. Right. So I think this depends on how captivating you make it. Because honestly, if you can't if you can't keep the audience's attention from week to week, yeah. <laughs> then you're gonna have to serialize it. You have to have, yeah. like, okay, well, we'll do something a slow burn of a storyline. But if you every week you can come up with something really cool and interesting, then you know, let's. It, yeah, yeah, I get that. Because because some of the the Zindi stuff for me kind of dragged on a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a whole season based on that like overarching storyline. Yeah, and I don't think it really needed to be. No. But, even then they found a couple times where they did a couple standalone like episodes. But honestly, for me, like the best episodes of Enterprise are are kind of like the standalone. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like an overarching story, continuation story. But like so specifically the one where like Trip and Malcolm, the episode starts where they're in the shuttle. Oh yeah. And they they think the Enterprise is like blown up. Mm-hmm. And you have like as a viewer, you have like no idea what's going on. Yeah. Until like the middle of the episode, like those episodes to me are so, they're so good. Yeah, like they just that's characters can just kind of stand one. apart, you know. Yeah, that's easily if probably in the top three best episodes that Enterprise has. Yeah, it's probably one. Yeah, I would definitely say it's one of the top three. Yeah, it's that's a uh, great episode. Yeah, and it's a thing where it really honestly shows you how good like. Connor Trenier and Dominic oh, yeah. are like because they, yeah, they have to carry the, they have to carry the episode so yeah but even as a show point of view too it, it helps like the character grow it helps you like understand <laughs> this character more yeah. and see like why he makes choices later on you know 
like Malcolm is very much by the book. He's like, he's just like, okay, he's accepted his stuff. He's accepted his fate. Yeah. Trip is not that type of bird. Trip is no. he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna run out of oxygen trying to find out like the last like wire he can he can jump to give him engines, you know. Yeah, five more seconds of oxygen. You, or you understand the characters now. Now moving forward after the episode, moving forward, like you understand like why Trip is in the engine room fixing this and not worried about anything else. Like you you understand. Right. And I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, and you kind of get more of a of, of an understanding that Malcolm is like, you know, he's very by the book and he's very yeah proper. So when things don't yeah. go right or things are off protocol, he's like upset. Yeah, right. And like it. yeah, and then there's that episode where he he tells Archer like he wishes Archer would like discipline people more, and he's like yeah. too you know too laxing as a captain and stuff. I, I don't like that because like yeah, it speaks to his character, you know. Yeah, but that's kind of how this episode felt to me. It was. You know, they went to observe this comet, and that's what they did. The whole episode, it was about this comet, you know? Just focus on, like, what, what's yeah. happening with this comet, yeah. And it was Okay, cool. well, perfect. That goes right in. So, we start off with a cadet's log. Stardate 2912.4. The Enterprise is surveying the Persephone system, where the crew is studying the behavior of an ancient comet. C slash 2260-Quinton. I, however, am doing a rotation in landing party readiness protocols, which doesn't really involve comments, ancient or otherwise, so duties are pretty slow at the moment, except, of course, for a recent invitation to dinner at the captain's cabin, for which I have been encouraged by Lieutenant Ortegas to dust off my dress uniform. Yeah. <laughs> so we start with the people of a desert village are going about their normal routine, some have their eyes drawn upwards where a comet crosses the sky. So we kind of get this uh, interesting little start of the show. Like, who are these people? Why do we care about these people? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing you talked about, was it in the Star Trek Adventures thing or maybe a different episode or just something else we were talking about maybe on your channel? Um, where because they're like in a desert arid area like they themselves are like lizard scale like yeah they, it was which was a nice i like that it was a nice touch yeah the alien character design was great and you know for what it was you only ever saw like two of them like maybe three times yeah. in the episode yeah it was cool it was a cool design i liked it yeah the way that they're like scales like kind yeah of, it was like multicolored and stuff like that yeah Okay, so the comet C-2260-Quentin is making its way through the Persephone system, and the USS Enterprise has been sent to survey it. On board, Uhura has been summoned to dine with Captain Pike and his captain, and Ortegas told her to wear her dress uniform. As she steps off the turbo lift, she encounters Ortegas, who is not in uniform at all, and Uhura realizes she is being hazed. Ortegas admit, admits it, saying people got bored on a small ship. As Uhura turns to change, Ortegas warns that she does not want to be late to the captain's table. Helm officer jokes that Uhura has her first square of Enterprise bingo, reminding her that even she had been a cadet once and subject to all the traditions that came with it. Uhura asks about what awaits her, and Ortegas explains that Captain Pike prefers to have regular members of the crew not just the command staff. 
so that he can keep informed about the goings on aboard the ship. Uh, he might ask her questions. Uhura is less than enthused, thinking on how her father mentioned she was unburdened by conversational boundaries. So this will be fun for you then, Ortega's notes, as they reach Pike's quarters. So mm-hmm. basically <laughs> just get that Ortega's is... Yeah. she's Her character is kind of interesting in the sense of she doesn't really fit the mold of any star trek character she's kind of wildly different than yeah anything that's see that to come or has happened really i mean but that's yeah. okay i mean she she's just she's just different yeah well it was cool too because like i didn't i didn't really get that um uh o'hara was a cadet mm-hmm. in the first episode oh yeah and I assume that's what her badge is. Right? The longer, like badge. extended triangle thing on her, yeah. on her uh, delta is indicating that she's a cadet. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool though because I I I like getting to see her character more in this episode. So the cool thing is, so that you you can even understand it probably even a little bit further, is she's not an ensign. Uh, which means she hasn't graduated the Starfleet Academy. So yeah, by making right. her a cadet, she's still technically in school. So it'd be like having a college kid like yeah. on a field trip type thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. She's she's just there for like work experience, essentially. Right, exactly. Yeah. Which is what we'll get into, which you know will sort of explains why she's why yeah. her is the way that she is. So, Pike himself, also dressed informally and wearing an apron, greets them, chuckling at seeing Uhura in her dress uniform, and invites them in. Una is among the first to greet them, while Pike attends to the ribs he was cooking. His cabin appears to resemble equal parts kitchen and dining room, with some preparing food while others wait. Uhura goes around the room until she comes across an Anar cutting up vegetables and offers to help him. His reply is a curt no. Spock, standing nearby, says she has offended Commander Hammer, the new chief engineer. Her apologizes, saying that she was drawn to help people with sensory impairments. Hammer notes that humans in his condition might consider themselves impaired. Spock explains that his other senses compensate for his blindness, to which Hammer amends that his other senses were superior. Uhura recalls reading that the Anar have precognitive abilities. Hemmer had known she would ask about that, not because of precognition, but because everyone always did. He suddenly raises a hand and catches a carrot. Spock tosses to him in midair, commenting on how he telegraphed his throw telepathically, which was Spock's intention to illustrate Hemmer's enhanced senses. Uhura thinks this is another example of hazing before saying to Hemmer in Andorian that he needed to get out more. Seriously, she adds in Vulcan, for Spock's benefit, before going back to Federation Standard and saying she needed a drink and she goes to get one. I like her, Hemmer comments, and Spock concurs. So your your first uh, Enterprise reference. Yeah, that was it. Was really cool seeing him. Well, he, I think you see him in the end of the first episode too, right? Yeah. He he beams up. He beams up. 
yeah. but yeah that's pretty that's pretty cool that like the nr are part of like the federation like moving yeah. forward yeah like that it's not like they're in anything else they're only in star trek enterprise so for him to be on it it's a literal direct wow. connection to star trek enterprise that's cool yeah that's pretty cool yeah i noticed him at first and i thought maybe he was like just kind of like a modernized like andorian yeah, um, yeah. but then in this episode obviously you know the whole like telepathy and pale skin and like i was like okay cool i i got it you know that's pretty sweet yeah. yeah yeah i like that it makes me wish like shran showed up again because mm. i really i love his character <laughs> yeah i'm trying to think going forward if i'm sure maybe this new season that's coming out um but uh i don't think jeffrey combs is in any episode yeah of this season but he's i, I think uh i don't think next generation but everything else he's been in. Mm. So he's in Deep Space Nine. He's in Voyager. He's in Enterprise, obviously. Oh, really? Um, he's, I want to say he's even in Discovery. I know he's in Lower Decks. Mm. Yeah, he's a, he, I don't know. I don't know if he's in Picard. He may not be in Picard. But yeah, he's that's he's a guy cool. that's like, a, he's kind of like the cliff of uh, of Star Trek. Like they'll they'll get him in as much as they can. Oh, that's show. that makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. Now he won't obviously he doesn't show up as he won't show up as Shran, but he plays other yeah. he plays yeah. other characters. And that's cool. It'll be a while before we get there, but he's in Deep Space Nine like almost every episode. Yeah. He cool. plays like four different characters. I thought world. I recognized him in Enterprise, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. he literally plays like legitimately like three different <laughs> characters on the show. <laughs> that's great. That's no. great. Well, that, they kind of did that with um, Data. Oh yeah, Brett Spiner comes back and all. So, so yeah. having him come back in Enterprise, being like the Nugenics Doctor, yeah, like scientist guy, and I, I kind of appreciate that because uh, you're like, okay, well, he looks almost identical, right? You know, as as that character, but then the way that ends is like he's going to start developing like robotics, yeah. Yeah. So you're like, okay, that, that that's kind of cool that like the first, you know, the robots would kind of look like him, like yeah. moving forward. Yeah. Like I like that little detail. That's kind of cool. But um, yeah, going back to this scene, this to me is like, what an upgrade the captain's like quarters and like, <laughs> and like his eating area. Right. Cause yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so used to seeing like archers, like dining quarters. Like captain's dining quarters is like a table and it's like three people there. Right. <laughs> and he's got that window. Yeah. And now this is like, it's, it's like his, so this is like his, his room essentially. Right. Yeah. But he also yeah. uses it as part of his captain, like entertaining thing. Yeah. And I just love that. I love that. It's like super open and like able to like support a bunch of people to like, uh, you know, have dinner and there's a full bar that, Fireplace is probably a little impractical on a on a spaceship. Yeah, I was going to say in that space that's... that has you know <laughs> oxygen has to be made consecutively, but the fire takes yeah. But it's cool, like it looks cool. Yeah, yeah, it looks cool. <laughs> this is the first thing I thought of when I was like, "That's really stupid to have on like a, a spaceship <laughs> that has to be like capsuled yeah. and <laughs> that's a little stupid." It is, but you um, have, you have found one of those things that the fans complain about in this episode. <laughs> it's just. Yeah, it's just stupid. Well, I mean, here's the thing, right? Is it Star Trek? It could just be a hologram projector. Yeah. 
It could yeah. just be projecting flames for like that that's sense true. of like that's very true. coziness that humans yeah. like, you know. I can let that slide. It's yeah, ridiculous. Like if it's, you do if it's an open flame, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah as I said, it's kind of like what you do when we come over, you'll put it on the TV, like a nice little yeah, exactly. Thing, right? Yeah, so it could just exactly. be that. Yeah. a video playing. Yeah. So uh, yeah, realistic projection. That's what we'll say it is. That's what I that's what I thought it was. That's what I <laughs> <laughs> but I love too. I love that Pike is like super laid back and he's having you know people come on and he's he's got like the staff there. Yeah. And it's just like super laid back. It's not like super formal. Well, it's kind of like Archer early, right? Like er, like first season Archer, where he's kind yeah. of more like just happy to be out in space and exploring and doing things, and he's a lot more chummy. And then, yeah. you know, and stuff happens and he changes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. He kind of gets like burden, you know, he gets, he feels the burden of actually being weight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like the captain of the Federation, like a, of a ship that's going to bring about the Federation. So, but I like, so Pike is a cool character to me because, like, even though he has this knowledge of in 10 years, basically, mm-hmm. his life will be over. He still, he still enjoys being on the enterprise he still likes what he does yeah so much to like he went back he went back to space knowing that that's what's going to happen yeah but i just like that i liked his like sense of duty and but (laughs) he doesn't take it he doesn't take it like super seriously he's not you know he's not a jerk sure he's not stuffy like some other captains that you'll get to know yeah (laughs) (laughs) so at the captain's table pike regales his guests with an amusing story about when he was an ensign tripping over fallen the fallen pants of a nausicaan he was pursuing and how his commanding lieutenant thought that perhaps security was not the best fit for him spock admits he has never understood the human inclination to laugh at other people's misfortune calling it impolite nurse chapel reminds him that this is what made it funny like adds that sometimes things go so wrong that it makes one laugh Uhura rises from the table to pour herself a drink, humming a tune to herself. When Pike asks about it, she explains it was a bad habit. A folk song from her native Kenya. Pike recalls the achingly beautiful site of Lake Simbi uh, Nayama, which he had visited several times. Uhura grew up not too far from there. Given how few cadets are taken in aboard the Enterprise, Pike thinks Uhura... Uh, would have had to have been quite impressive to make the cut. Noting that she spoke 12 languages, she corrects him by saying she spoke 37. Since Kenya alone had 22 languages, she felt the best way to be understood by people was to speak their language. So she learned them all and found it easy to do so. Pike knows she's on the landing party rotation and might find a difficulty jumping from speciality to speciality. With a glance to Una. It was one time, she says. But is sure Uhura has chosen one she likes. His voice catches as he asks where she sees herself in 10 years. Again, thinking of where he, he knows he will be. Uhura admits that she isn't sure she considers herself at all that Starfleet. Which surprises Pike. Who notes how she worked her way there beating out several thousand applicants to get a posting on the Enterprise. Uhura replies that she wanted to study alien languages and had originally intended to go to the University of Nairobi, 
as both her parents had taught there. A week before she was due to start, her parents were killed in a shuttle accident, along with her older brother. She couldn't go to the campus, feeling her family's absence. She felt she never fit in anywhere anymore. She had gone to live with her grandmother, who had been in Starfleet, and talked often about it, and so ran away to the academy. Pike is impressed by her honesty and hopes she has a she can find a place where she does fit, wherever that might be. I'll start off first. So do you remember uh, the Enterprise episode where uh, Trip and Archer are arrested and they're on that like criminal barge? Yeah. Remember the big nasty guy has like the predator kind of mouth and face? Yeah. Like punching Trip and the other guy and Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's a Nausicaan. So when he says Nausicaan, that's what that is. Gotcha. So just imagine okay. that type of guy running down the street with no pants on. Perfect. That's much. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't look into it. I probably sh- should have researched it a little bit. But the character, the actor who plays her, um, Nichelle Nichols, like later in Star Trek. Yeah. I was curious when I when when this episode was playing when I was watching it, I was like, is that her story? Did like mm. her, did Nichelle Nichols parents and brother die and she lived with her grandmother? I don't know oh. if it's true, but I just feel like I don't think we ever know about Uhura's backstory in the original yeah. Star Trek. She's just a character. Like it's just like, hey, there she is. Yeah. So right. I wondered if if that was a nod to her or just they just wanted to make her as like backstory like really sad so yeah i I don't i just don't know (laughs) yeah it also made me wonder if like if there ever been would have been a a time that like we've seen her grandma because like her grandma was in starfleet Mm. but that also reminded me like how far forward we are from like enterprise too because like Enterprise ends. Well, the episodes I haven't, I, I know like the Federation starts at with Archer. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. So for her, her grandma to have joined the Federation and then like retire essentially. I mean, you're talking a long, long period of time. Yeah. You're probably talking 20 to 30 years after Enterprise. Her grandmother was yeah. born. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Because you think about it, she's probably 60, 70 years old. So yeah. you're, you're talking 2190, 2180, somewhere in there. She's probably born, her grandmother. And, and yeah. the Federation was founded in 2161. So quite a while. But still, you know, like, yeah, it would probably be most likely her great grandmother, her great grandparents. They probably were yeah. born when the Federation was founded. Well, yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, no, it is. It is really cool. Okay, walking in the corridors with Spock, her wonders if she blew it. Spock assures her that Pike values honesty as he does. However, he adds that many, him, himself included, saw Starfleet as a lifelong dream. And if her didn't feel she wanted to walk on that path, she should step aside for someone who did. Kind of gives her a talking yeah to. <laughs> yeah i like that it's interesting to see that that was spock's lifelong dream too 
yeah, you kind of get this feeling that yeah. as it goes on, that he values Vulcan principles and ideals, and that he he puts all of that Vulcan belief like at the forefront. But you kind of understand that in the heart of him, he's he's like yeah. human. He has like human feelings and human type of connections. Yeah. I really, I really do like his character on the show. It's surprising. The thing I tell you, um, it's a really Spock is a really specifically unique character to try to imitate. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, I know. It's really funny that two guys, Zachary Quinto and Ethan Peck here. Oh, yeah. The guy from the movie. The guy from the movie. Yeah, he was it, good too, wasn't he? It's yeah, he's really great, and it's it's and the thing that I it's even more telling of how good Ethan Peck is is Zachary Quinto got to meet and talk to and like study, yeah, uh, from Leonard Nimoy before he passed away. Right. Yeah, so that also lends to why Zachary Quinto is so good in those movies because he's literally got to talk to Leonard Nimoy and got any type of pointers about what you know, like what do I do here. Ethan Peck doesn't. All he has is like footage and like probably interviews and stuff. Yeah. So it's it's really cool to how he mm. plays it so good. He has that like he has that humor that Leonard Nimoy was able to infuse into the character unintentionally. Yeah, I love that. I love the uh you get to it too, but the when he basically tells her like the odds. <laughs> oh and she's like is that your version of a pep talk? And he's like, yes, I've, I've been working on my pep talks. <laughs> it's like, that was horrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. He, you yeah. know, he's, 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 he's playing the straight man, basically. He's exactly. Just... But you can see, too, that, you know, he's got a little bit of emotion and stuff, too, because, like, he doesn't have to, like, tell Ohura that, like, she did a great job, like, on her first mission. Right. He doesn't have to do that. But obviously, that's, right. like, a human you know commemorate right. um you know giving her appraisal exactly yeah yeah i really like him and, and it's funny i i texted you i was like why is he so familiar like why does he look so familiar because he looks so familiar to me he looks like um but i don't know i looked up his imdb and i don't nothing yeah. really on there that i've seen or like loved so he kind of looks like the, the actor from the, the NBC show Grimm. Have you ever seen Grimm? Oh, yeah. He kind of yeah. looks like the lead guy. A little bit. He looks like uh, that in a, in a mix of... um. Oh, what's the guy from Park and Rec? The, uh, the one that ends up marrying Leslie Nope. Oh, Adam Scott? Yeah. He looks a little bit like that. He like does mixed. look a little bit like Adam Scott that you say that. That's funny. That's right. Really I was like, maybe it's his brother. No. Gosh, could you imagine Adam Scott playing him? It, it would. It would be. He'd probably be pretty good. Comedy. He would be fun. He'd be really good at it. But I feel like he would. He would try to push the envelope. Would make him laugh well, a lot more. In Parks, in Parks, he plays. A, you know, he's a huge nerd. Yeah, and he's not like super over the top. I don't know. That's true. Maybe he'll show yeah, up. You never know. Yeah. You don't know all of Spock's relatives. So. Uh, in his cabin, <laughs> Una knows Pike has asked the same uh, where will you be question to many cadets, but it felt different that time, wondering if it had to do with what he had told her about his experience on Bor Borath. Pike, Probably not. 
No, probably unlikely. Doubt it. Pike concedes <laughs> that knowing one's future took the fun out of imagining it. Una asks if he had considered his fate wasn't written, but Pike recites a series of names. And Una realizes he knows the names of the cadets he will save in the accident that will cripple him several years in the future. Pike has been repeating their names to himself over and over as a reminder to stay the course. Una refuses to believe that there is no other way, just as the comm chimes, summoning Pike to the bridge. Spock has found a problem with the comet. So, pretty interesting that we get like a a peel back of more than just, hey, you're going to get crippled and, you know, bad things are going to happen to you, like... Yeah. Also, you're going to be a hero. <laughs> I like the fact that he knows the names too. That's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty good, you know, touch I too. I might, I don't think I'm going too far ahead. I, I can't remember, but I feel like they don't. So I always wondered, like, how does he know their names? Mm-hmm. And I think it's a thing where he knows what their faces look like. But again, yeah. you know, it's like, it's kind of hard to gauge what a, a teenager yeah. from a child, you know, because they're like children in the picture at the end. And obviously they're like cadets or whatever by the time he's rescuing them. So I, I assume that like he, you know, because he's crippled essentially from the radiation, but he's still like labeled a hero. And I'm sure like the names would have all been named that he. He saved. Oh. Absolutely, so but he doesn't have looking... access to like future records. He's only oh. seeing like his like through his eyes what his future is. Well, that's that's what I mean. So like if he's seeing his future, he would see that like he's at like the award ceremony and like those kids like thank him specifically. Oh, maybe. Yeah, you know? okay. They don't really show that. I I, I don't know if you yeah. caught it last uh last uh they basically video. just kind of show him like turning to the door and like sealing the door. Right, right, yeah. yeah. But they all, all they show in the discovery. I put the clip in last week's episode. He touches the thing. Yeah. He's in the room. Things are blowing up. He's trying to get. He puts his hand on the thing. He's burnt, and then it cuts, and he's in the corridor. And then you see him in the wheelchair, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's it's yeah. I mean, who knows? It's doesn't really matter i just was like huh how does he actually know these people's names yeah i mean who knows how far he saw sure yeah yeah okay uh okay spock shows a simulation which was kind of funny because it was like oh my something's yeah, wrong right. with the comment they immediately <laughs> like, go yeah and immediately blows up the planet he's like no that's what could happen, could happen. <laughs> <laughs> indicating that the comet will impact the surface of the nearby planet Persephone 3 in two days, leaving no survivors. The planet is M-class and inhabited by a pre-warp civilization called the Deleb. As the Deleb are not technologically advanced enough to move it themselves, Spock proposes using four ion engines to divert the comet's path and account for its rotation. Lan suggests using photon torpedoes as launch vehicles, which would take about an hour to retrofit, which Hemmer in turn calls a rosy assessment as he would be the one doing the work yeah. pike orders them to get it done as they had a planet to save before breakfast i love this job he adds to una but as the torpedoes are deployed they impact against a force field leaving pike wondering how a comet would put one up 
Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. You could tell like that's like where, you know, like the mm-hmm. commercial. But I like that. I like that cliffhanger before the like uh like oh okay, so this thing's got a force field. That's Aww. that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Not something I, you would expect to see. Yeah. I I like too how um Pike as the captain, he he asked like his like security officer what you know like the science you know has spock the science officer like what does he think he gives an idea and then mm-hmm. he turns to his number one and he says what do you think and she says yeah that could that could possibly work and he's like all right let's do it so he's getting like everybody's opinion on the thing you know yeah and then so even yeah. like the security officer she says like yeah we can we can retrofit the the cannons for that but then like mm-hmm. i love too like the you know Hammer's there and he's like, Yeah, I'm the one that has to do it, basically. So <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a cool thing. It's a it's a cool beat that they continually will do in Star Trek where you everybody kind of sits around and talks about the problem. I like that. Yeah. I like that it's a shipwide thing, you know. Yeah. Which I also like seeing what... the chief the chief engineer like on the bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just up there, you know. That's the kind of the thing I try to encourage Adrian to do as captain. I'm like, okay. Have a staff meeting to tell everybody mm-hmm. what's going on. Because <laughs> that's what they do in Star Trek. They all stand around and talk about it for a minute. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. You know what I, I forgot to say, too, I appreciate is that um, you, you, we see it coming up, too. But okay. when they when they beam down, they have their communicators like on their belt. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they, they did a pretty good job making them kind of like modern, but also look like the ones oh. from the original series. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. the black and gold flip thing. Yeah. I like that. I like that they kind of tried to keep it. But I, I didn't notice the phaser. I thought the phaser looked pretty similar to like Kirk's it's, era. It's pretty similar. It's a little more sleek. It's a little more yeah. sleek. Not as like, like, you know how back then, like in the 60s, like everything was like hard angles and like, yeah. had like that thin Square. appeal and yeah. stuff. Like, yeah. And now it's more like smooth and Stuff like yeah well, it generally like rounded because i just saw like she she throws it to spock and then i really only noticed when he like puts it in his holster that it mm-hmm. looks like the same it's got the same dial on the top in it yeah yeah i was like oh that that's cool why wouldn't you right i mean if you're making a star trek show that is set before the original series why wouldn't you make the stuff as close as you like yeah right Especially the bridge. Like, there's certain things that you're just like, listen, if you're going to be on the Enterprise and you're that close to Kirk's era, things need to look. You got to have the chair. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, too, that Pike, that must just be a natural, like, comfortable way to sit in that chair, is that like, (laughs) because Pike crosses his leg and that's very much like a Captain Kirk thing. Oh, very much. Very much. I kind of like that. Yeah. Shatner found what was comfortable to sitting in those things, so <laughs> it just became the sta- the staple. <laughs> it's because the it's because the part where he sits is just a piece of plywood. Yeah, so he has to true. like cross his legs so he's not you know like sitting on his back. spine. <laughs> yeah. In the conference room, Uhura reports that they're they've tried hailing and scanning the comet, but find no life signs. However, there is an enormous, mostly subterranean structure which indicates alien inte- intelligence. Pike has asked Lieutenant Kirk, the ship's xenoanthropologist, to join them and asks the crew for their opinions. It looks like a comet, has shields like a starship. 
and has a structure like a planet. Lon theorizes it could be a derelict spacecraft. Spock thinks the structure is the best place to investigate, noting that the shields only reacted to threats, meaning that they could beam to the surface. Pike asks Kirk if he knew of any civilizations that sprang from comets, and Kirk admits that this was the first he's heard of. Pike notes he likes the mustache, and Kirk suggests he try one himself. The captain then orders Leon, Spock, Kirk, and Uhura to suit up, noting that this would be Uhura's first landing party. You wanted to speak alien languages, he tells her. Go where the aliens are. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty that that whole interaction with like Kirk is pretty funny. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's really good, actually. It's one of those yeah. things that uh you it makes me laugh and i'm not gonna tell you why but because it spoils things a little bit but when you eventually see kirk's brother you're just like that mustache comment's really funny so (laughs) good good i like being in the dark and not knowing things i do yeah i love it so much We're coming up on a part, like the only part I didn't super love in this episode, too, by the way. Oh. Yeah. Tell you when we get there. As they put on their environmental suits, Chapel explains to the landing party that the comet is bombarded by ridiculous amounts of cosmic rays, so that the hypo she would inject them with gave them two hours. Uhura finds the injection painful and thinks Chapel could have warned her. The nurse replies cheerfully that if she had, Uhura would have known it would hurt. Kirk winces a little as he receives this, while Lalan does not seem affected at all, remaining all business as she tells the crew to weapon up. Chapel then comes to Spock, asking if he was ready. Spock replies that he was ready for any kind of pain she could inflict, leading Chapel to <laughs> joke that he was toying with her. Lalan then tosses Spock a phaser, Suited up, the landing party heads to the transporter room. Lon reminds them that gravity will be a fraction of Earth's normal. They all power on their suits, and Spock gives the order to Chief Kyle to energize. Yeah. So something's going on there with Nurse Chapel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she likes Vulcans. Also, we get <laughs> also we get to see that Lon is still a little interesting. There's some more. More going on there with that girl than, yeah. So that's kind of the thing I I didn't super enjoy is like so okay. the first episode I really liked her I liked her care I like and I like her towards the, the you know after this part too she's fine but it was just kind of like kind of like out of nowhere. Maybe they'll explain it more, but like I get that she's like chief of security. Okay. But she just came across too like better than everybody else, you know. Mm. Like, tech, like realistically, like she shouldn't even be on Enterprise. Like she, right. she has no right to even be there. But like Pike wanted her there, right? And now all of a sudden she's, she's like, oh yeah, basically like telling everybody that they're babies, like from getting like their their shots <laughs> and like mad and then throwing phasers around, which is like probably shouldn't do that as a security officer, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was like. You basically like gear up, like man up. Let's get let's get on this mission. I was like, okay, that's a little, it's a little much. <laughs> yeah, I can I, 
I can agree with it. No, I can agree. She's a little rough around the edges in this episode yeah. more than, than and normal. not to mention Spock like outranks her, like she's yeah, you know security, but like he's doesn't have to take orders from her, you know. Well, I I think the thing that they're trying to do, and I totally agree with you, and I, I yeah. think the, the thing that they're trying to do is um, remember how Pike says there the last episode, like, hey, I get that your record is like spotless. And you yeah. excel in like everything. But just because you're excellent at what you do doesn't mean that you know everything. And really, it's a team effort here. You're right. So you're kind of slowly seeing that she's trying to become a team and not just right, be. Right. I think the whole thing that they're trying to write to her is that she is like perpetually the lone survivor. Yeah. And it's just a matter of time until everyone around her dies and she's the last one living. I think that's yeah. kind of what they're trying to paint with her character. I can see that. Yeah, that that's fine. But you're totally right. She definitely comes off as kind of like an arrogant jerk for the first few beats yeah. of, of the of this la- of this like kinda landing like, party sequence. Kind of like for no reason too. And then yeah. and and then once like things do go bad, she just like does nothing. She like shuts down completely and like doesn't offer any help or anything. No. Yeah. <laughs> she just stands there and it's like, "Wow." You're That's really good. helpful. Yeah, you're. <laughs> yeah, good thing you were so tough on you know before you beamed down. That was yeah. good. <laughs> In the locker room, we're so yeah, so impressed with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just. Anyway, that's just my small. No, that's hey man, that's what we're here for. Hey, well, when we get there, we never know. She might make the list. We'll see. Okay, so materializing no, on the surface. There's better things on my list. Than that. Good. Okay. Uh, oh, materializing maybe, yeah. on this was that she might get the porthos award <laughs> i figured so <laughs> <laughs> materializing on the surface Spock and Lon make their way forward but uhura hangs back taking in her new surroundings kirk asks if she was good as she replies she was taking in the idea of standing on the surface of a comet the landing party makes its way inside the above ground part of the structure entering a chamber with what appears to be a large egg in its center. Spock scans show the chamber has a breathable atmosphere. Lon moves to secure the perimeter, while Spock continues his scans to make sure the room is secure. Kirk and Uhura approach the egg in the middle, seeing the markings. He asks whether they were merely decoration or some kind of language. Uhura is overwhelmed, and Kirk understands that she is a cadet and on her first away mission, but reminds her she was there for a reason. She approaches the egg, seeing that the patterns on it repeated in a sequence. Kirk decides to approach it, and the egg begins to glow. However, Spock detects a dangerous energy buildup within it and warns Kirk to step away from it. But it is too late. As he raises his hand to touch touch it, the energy discharges, knocking him across the room. Lon and Spock remove his helmet and scan his life signs, finding his heart has stopped. Lon tries to contact the ship for an emergency beam out, but the signal is spotty. Likewise, Kyle is having difficulty getting a transporter lock. Spock uses the defibrillator function on his tricorder to try and restart Kirk's heart. Kyle manages to get a lock and tries to energize, but the comet's shields raise, blocking the signal. Spock is able to stabilize Kirk's condition, but their comms are being blocked. The landing party was now cut off from the ship. So this has like a very 
uh alien vibe to it right like the mm-hmm. original movie like where they're walking yeah. like looking it's like mm, a big egg, big yeah. egg. <laughs> i liked it so I, what is what's kirk's role he's he's a xeno anthropologist uh, okay so great. he's like so an, his, he studies his like first alien uh like anthropology yeah. is like the study of like human history, so it's alien yep. history. Gotcha. Like that type of stuff. Yeah. So his first instinct was to immediately walk up and touch this big giant glowing. Yeah. Thing. Oh yeah. 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 That's what his training tells him to do. When you don't know it, touch it. Yep. Touch it. Can't be bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what we've learned too from Indiana Jones, right? Yeah. He always is like, "Hey, if you don't know what it is, just put your hand on it." Yeah. Just lick it. <laughs> just like it. <laughs> Maybe the yeah, jokes on so, all of them. He wanted. He wanted to die. He was like, "Yeah, I know what this is gonna do." He's like, "This this mission is so boring." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was funny. So that was kind of funny to me. Like he immediately was like out. <laughs> yeah, oh, commission. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. good. Yeah, definitely. Immediately showing you he is not his brother. <laughs> His brother would have tried to kiss it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Kiss it. But when he got flown across the room, his heart wouldn't have stopped. <laughs> would have made him more powerful than you could possibly imagine. <laughs> and his shirt would have ripped a little bit, too. His suit would have like ripped off. And yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Lon's tricorder shows Kirk has sustained severe trauma from electrical shock and has put him under sedation, leading Uhura to suggest not touching anything else. Spock knows that Kirk will not survive without proper medical attention, and Lon's scans also show the force field is back up, leading to Uhura to ask what kind of comet wanted to keep them there. Spock considers that a salient question, one that Uhura may be the only one to answer. Uhura reminds him that he it is her first away mission, but Spock replies that she is the only linguistics expert here, and her knowledge might be able to decode the markings on the egg. In the Deleb village on the surface of the planet, one of the villagers approaches her young daughter, who worriedly points up at the comet as it glows brighter in the sky. She takes the child inside the nearby hut, her own expression that of concern as she steals a glance at the comet as well. It'll be fine. It'll be, yeah, it's totally fine. This is a big giant ball of it's getting closer and closer. It's like, what is that? Hmm. The the floating star has angered the gods. He is going to crush us. <laughs> what do they call it? I don't remember. What do they call it? What do those other aliens call that thing? Oh, Maha, Mahani. Mahani, yeah. 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 Okay, aboard the Enterprise, Pike is also looking worried, but also determined. He pulls the bridge for ideas to save not only their own people, but the Deleb on the surface, who will die without their help. Ortega suggests phaser harmonics, setting their weapons to a higher frequency to counteract the shield. Una concurs, thinking the right frequency would shatter the shield. Pike approves the idea and orders Ortega's to bring the ship around. What if we just shoot it more? More. It's, it's, it's the same. Sh- it's the same thought that they had last week, right? Oh yeah. my god! How are we going to get Spock's 
retinal thing just, to change. Beam it into his eyes. That doesn't work. Do it. <laughs> oh my god! Well, yeah, we can't get her away. Yeah, because even in this one, even in this one. So Pike, even that scene, Pike's like. He's like, I don't care if you have to break like uh, the, the laws of physics. The yeah. laws of physics, just do it. And I'm like oh, yeah. that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, that's. Yep. Sometimes the writing is not as tight in the show as it should be. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one thing I miss about this show. They do okay, but the one thing I miss is like they don't go ham in the techno babble, and that's like Star Trek one hundred and one. Yeah, is they're like. Oh well, if we just raise the phase inverter to six point two percent, and uh, yeah. we bring over, and it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, it's literally where I learned like how to be an engineer was on Enterprise. <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah. Okay, inside the comet, Uhura is examining the markings as Spock asks how she is doing. Uhura admits she was pretending not to be way over her head before seeing Spock's expression and asking if that was too honest. Spock replies that Vulcans were often too honest, which Uhura thinks his girlfriend, Chapel, would appreciate. Spock replies that Chapel is not his girlfriend. Uhura knows this, but she points out that Chapel had been flirting with him. She is trying to add humor to diffuse tension, thinking on what Pike had said at the dinner about things going so wrong, one had to laugh. Spock prefers rigorous logic to ease tensions, and Uhura concedes that would work too. As Spock moves away from her, her turns to find Lon glaring at her before returning to work. <laughs> yeah. Very helpful. Extremely helpful. Thanks, Lon. Do you just keep standing over there and being tough? <laughs> I'll just crouch. I'll crouch yeah. near the patient and just 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 burn a hole in your head with my eyeballs. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Don't worry. I'll, I'll figure out this dead alien language. It'll be fine. No worries, yeah. You just keep doing that. You just keep standing there looking awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Una reports that the phasers were locked and ready, and Pike tells her to give the command. Before she can, the ship is shaken by by a weapon's impact as a large vessel positions itself between the Enterprise and the Comet. Pike orders hailing frequencies, identifying himself and his ship, and asking why they have been fired upon. The other identifies his people as the Shepherds, causing Pike to glance at Ensign Christina at communications with some disbelief. Christina says that was how the Universal Translator had rendered it. The Shepherd Captain explains that he is escorting Mahanit, which he calls far more than a comet, but one of the ancient arbiters of life. He then threatens to destroy the Enterprise if they attempt to tamper with it again. So I'll give you I'll give you the good and I'll give you the bad. The good is the I saw behind this the scenes footage, and I might be able to find it and put it down below yeah. of uh this this uh shepherd captain. Yeah. And he's not uh CGI. His background is, but he himself is not. Hmm. That's interesting. He's like a I think he's a guy in makeup and like he has like things on him. So I when I first saw it, I was like, man, the CGI is, is pulling a little strong here. But yeah, I kind of did too. But the but, more you see him, the more you kind of notice like maybe it's not. Maybe yeah. it's not. And the bad is I have mixed feelings. Adri pointed it out when we watched this episode last year. It's kind of yeah. weird that when he calls himself the shepherds, that Pike is like 
really the shepherds is what you call yourself it's kind of like that's kind of mean like so what if they're called that like you're supposed to be understanding and like he's an alien like who cares what he's called that's funny and i get it that they try to bill it as like well how could they be called the shepherds and she's like well that's what the universal translator is saying but just the way he his actual facial expression is more like really it's not like he it's not like Uh, yeah it's funny it's it funny because like, the guy like, yeah. got on the, the comms and was like, yes, we are the poopy pants. And he was like, poopy pants. Really? You know what I mean? It was something like the name made sense. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, I didn't think about that either because like I, I kind of liked that scene. I thought it was kind of funny that he was like, uh, is that like, is the communicator wrong or is that, you know. Right. But that's I true. Think, honestly, what it should what do have you been want written them to is. Be called the- the watchers yeah. or the observers or... right i think honestly what should have happened is he was he would be like we are the shepherds and blah 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 and he talks about it and then when the comms end he goes over and he's like and then she's like captain we're having issues with the universal translator the name that they're calling themselves isn't translating well and it's only coming up as the shepherds like that needed to be more of the scene than him being like mm? <laughs> He did kind of react like they were calling themselves like the apostles. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because then he was like, zealots more like it. Idiot. <laughs> Stupid heads. Stupid poopy pants. <laughs> poopy pants. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that is true. I, I didn't even think about that. That's a good point. Yeah, it's just a little unstarched. Immediately be like, that's stupid. <laughs> yeah. Like, like to me, that's normal, like sci-fi fare. Like that's fine, but it's not Star Trek. Star Trek is very yeah. much when they're like, "We are the grass eaters." Everybody's like, "Oh, honorable grass oh. eaters, we love oh. you." <laughs> like that's just what it is. Like, yeah, that's yeah, that's true. That is true. That that is kind of a weird stance, especially later on in the episode. And he's like, you know, he's like, "Do you consider yourself to be open-minded?" And he's like, "Yeah, absolutely." <laughs> I'm like, all right. So here's what we th- what we believe in, and he's immediately like, "That doesn't make any sense." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. The comets don't do these, th- you know. But it's this like it has a force field, and it's got this. Like, obviously, you don't see the inside of it, but it's got this. Like, yeah. Well, let's keep digging in. <laughs> yeah. Pike turns to Una and orders her to scan the ship, finding out what kind of weapons they were dealing with before turning back to the shepherd captain to explain that their intentions were not hostile. Mahanit was about to impact an inhabited planet and they were trying to divert its trajectory. The shepherd calls it absurd, comparable to changing the height of a wave or the position of the stars. Mahanit's course was preordained. Pike protests that the impact will destroy Mahanit and also kill millions of people on the surface. The shepherd suddenly asks if he was a reasonable man, and Pike replies that he would like to think so. The shepherd then asks him to entertain the p- proposition that Mahani was not a comet, but an instrument, an arbiter. It would move if it willed it, and bring life if it so chose. If it chose to die and to take the planet along with it, then it would as well. The shepherd reiterates that Mahani's course was preordained. Pike is incensed by this, saying that destroying an inhabited planet was not preordained. The shepherd counters that Pike had said he was a reasonable man, 
So how could he know? His people had been charged with protecting their arbiters for as long as they could remember. It was not their prerogative to interfere, nor was it Pike's. So it's kind of funny. So I think it's supposed to be more of like a written beat that Pike somehow is just, I don't know, closed-minded about these guys. But he's also like incensed because he's so sick of like things being like preordained that he's yeah like, can't and maybe that's what fact. it is yeah 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 that's a good point I never thought about that he would probably be really it's a direct like correlation of like his inevitable future being portrayed that's in this comment point. where he's saying like no that's not what this is doing yeah wow yeah so and that's it kind of makes him at the end it kind of like tests his belief system a little bit to think like number one was right and maybe like maybe i can still do both and not become a horrifying radiation monster <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> maybe if i know what's going to happen i can change things a little bit yeah yeah it's true but as we've uh, seen uh, from final destination that doesn't work out very well they'd always find you it always get you <laughs> seeing una has news for him uh, Pike pauses the communication before expressing his opinion of the shepherds to be more like zealots. Uno reports the shepherd vessel was faster and more advanced than the Enterprise, with Ortega assessing their weapons capability by simply saying they uh, wouldn't want to piss them off. Pike asks how they could divert the comet without doing that. Una insists they buy time for the landing party to get the force field down, with Pike expressing the hope the shepherds don't know they're down there. He orders Christina to resume communications, saying that while the shepherd had their sacred duty, the Federation has theirs. And while he did not intend to disrespect Mahani, they couldn't just let a planet die. The shepherd captain retorts that while Pike was talking about respect and non-interference, they have indeed detected the landing party in the temple on the surface, <laughs> calling their presence blasphemy. Mahani... <laughs> will be their tomb the shepherd captain goes on adding that any attempt to rescue them would be an act of war before closing the channel pike orders the crew to get through to the landing party even if they had to break the laws of physics to do so i like yeah, the I like design that. of the ship i like the design of the oh shepherd. the ship is cool yeah. yeah it's pretty sweet I really like too, like that, like behind the scenes, like talking about like, well, let's just, let's just hope like, you know, he's basically like we're outgunned and out, you know, faster yeah. speed. So let's like, not, let's play this a little close to the chest and maybe, you know, let's let, not let him in on the fact that like we have people on the surface. Cause that wouldn't be good. And then like, they immediately <laughs> talk back to him. And he's like, yeah, we already know about your people. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you try to rescue him, we're going to blow you up. It's almost like you almost feel like in, it's the scene from Galaxy Quest where yeah. he didn't, she didn't really mute him, and he's like, "Oh, phew!" And he gives her the like cut off thing, and then he tells him the the plan of action to destroy the bad guys, and then he comes back, and it's like you weren't muted. He knows everything you just said, and he's like, "That's what this means. This means turn off the mic." And she's like, "I thought it meant like we're dead, we're, we're gone." And he's like, "Why would it be that? Why would I do that?" <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yeah, that's funny. All right, come on. Put me back on with it. Well, I'm trying to tell you, you are back. Perhaps I'm not as stupid as I am ugly, Commander. I gave you the kill 
gesture. Yeah, no, you gave me the word dead signal. I was agreeing with you. Like, I know where the hold button is. Uh, inside the temple, Uhura continues her scans of the egg while Laan and Spock check on Kirk's condition, which appears to be stable. Laan then coldly asks about Uhura's progress, whether she would get them out of get them out or get them killed. Uhura replies it was a toss-up. As she works, Uhura begins humming to herself again, something Spock notices as a sign of distress, telling her the situation was less dire than it had been. Plus, uh, Kirk had found one thing to avoid, which increased her odds of success. Uhura asks if that was her his version of a pep talk, and he concedes it was, and had been working on them before asking her opinion. She notes he shouldn't take his foot off the gas on that one. Spock reminds her she was achieving her stated objective of learning new alien languages. Uhura says only that, like Spock had implied, she wasn't supposed to be there at all. Someone actually Starfleet. Spock asks, given that it was her first away mission, if it was also the first time her life had been in danger, and she confirms it was. Spock notes that confrontations with one's mortality gave them an outside perspective. She did not intend to be there, but she was there. And she was the only person for the job. Will you rise to see it through, he queries. Uhura says the pep, that pep talk was better, before returning to work, humming to herself. Spock notices a re resonance within the chamber. It was reacting to the humming. She hums some more, noticing the effect as well, and realizing the chamber was responsive to music. Pretty neat. Yeah, that was cool. I like and and they set that up very early on, you know, which yeah. is very cool too. It's also a funny thing that you'll get into. I don't know if I'll if it's in any of the episodes I'll show. It might be, but it's also like a funny thing of um 60s television was like, how do we get singing in here? How can we make people sing? And anything that we have. And, oh, is that that's a yeah? Thing. So she's very known for in the original series, like singing. There's oh. very like famous scenes of her singing. So, oh. so it's oh, kind okay. of funny. Yeah, I, like, I, well, yeah, of course, Ohura likes to hum and sing and do all this stuff. So I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you won't. But I don't remember any of that. Like from what I remember from the original series, I don't remember. No. Because it's one of those things where it's more like 60s television and not like character writing. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Back on the Enterprise, Una has been unable to reach the landing party, but is detecting a signal coming from the comet itself. Putting it on speaker, it is a melodic tune, almost like wind chimes. And a tune Pike recognizes. He asks the computer to identify the song, Vamu Vamba, a traditional song from Kenya on Earth. Pike knows this is not a coincidence. Inside the temple, the, cham the chamber harmonizes with Uhura's vocalizations, and Spock sees that the lights and sounds respond differently to different pitch. Kirk had thought the markings to be some kind of code, and Uhura theorizes that the code was harmonic. Harmonics were the ratio between frequencies, each musical note corresponding to a certain frequency. Lon wonders why an alien race would write music the same way they did. Spock replies that musical notes are easily derived from math, and the Vulcans theorize their fundamental nature makes them pleasing to the ear. 
Uhura asks one of them to match her pitch as she begins humming a single note. Lan stays out of it, saying she would probably break the thing. And so Spock joins her, their vocalizations matching their harmonics until, finally, the egg opens, and the room is radiating with light. Lan thinks this is a step closer to solving the genius or get us all killed conundrum, to which Uhura says, it was the right time for genius. A series of eerie melodies echoes through the room, which Spock speculates is the comet's method of communication. Lan wonders how that could be used to conceive it. You know, uh, Lan wonders how that could be used to convince it to lower the, the force field. To answer, Uhura vocalizes with the same melody, and the room begins to shake. The funny thing is, uh, this have you ever seen uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Yeah, a long time ago. Okay. This reminded me of that. When the aliens come down and they're like meeting with it, they have like the keyboard and it's like, bum, 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 oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That I remember. Yeah. Yeah. So that just made me think like, you're stealing from other material. <laughs> like, we've seen this. Mm. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. I wasn't like, it didn't bother me. I was just like, uh, the exact, almost like her exact humming and like pitch. Frequency was like almost right on the bottom. Yeah. Play. Yeah. 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 Bum, 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 bum. Bum, bum, bum. It seemed very familiar to me while I was watching, but I like I couldn't really place why. Yeah. I don't know if I'll be able to find it, like be able to find. I can obviously find the clip of Third Encounter, but I don't know if they'll have this clip I can find of her humming. But if I can, yeah. I'll try to put like the two together and show like how similar it is. Okay, it seems to have the, the desired effect aboard the Enterprise. Una detects the shield dropping. Pike orders the transporter room to beam them out. Chapel rushes to the transporter room as the landing party returns and helps Lon take Kirk to sickbay. Knowing how the shepherds will likely react, Pike orders red alert. Christina reports the shepherds were hailing. And Pike orders the channel open. The shepherd captain accuses him of attempting to interfere and is not interested in Pike's assertion to find some common ground. You were warned, is all the captain says before closing the channel. Ortega sarcastically thinks that went well, just as the ship is shaken by weapons impact. The shepherd vessel has launched torpedoes at them, and Pike orders the crew to brace for impact. So the two funny things, well, one's not funny, but it's, I always think about it. There's a couple times in the show so far where it's like all of a sudden people they just show up. Yeah. And you're like, where's the where's the line where they're like, Med sick bay, report to transporter room three, the landing crew's mm. coming. It's like, mm. did they have comms open or something? Like I always wonder about that. Like, yeah. She just comes running in and I'm like, how did how did she know? Yeah, because before they used to have to push a button and then be like, right. uh, this is the bridge to sick bay. <laughs> <laughs> And the other That's thing, I, made, yeah, I love that, but even like it's even in like emergencies. So, yeah. like, if something's happening here and you're like, you know, Archer's fighting somebody and he has to be like, hey, this is Archer to the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, that's really impractical to like have four really comms of your ship. It really, really is. Uh, another thing that made me laugh was so Ortega's here sarcastically is like that went well and then the ship is hit is shaken shook by the thing and I was thinking 
hey, if you weren't such an idiot and being like, good job, Captain, oh, you'd like, yeah. be like, weapons hey. incoming. <laughs> if you did your job show. properly, yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny too is I didn't notice is like back in on Enterprise, like it would show like the ship getting hit from the outside and then like everybody on the bridge and then they would be like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't really notice that super. Yeah, you would think like if the shields really did their job properly, like the whole inside of the ship wouldn't like shake violently like that. It would just kind of, yeah, reverb the energy. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. But that's a that's a classic. Uh... It's a it's a thing where some shows get it right and some shows get it different. <laughs> yeah, different. Yeah, that's a good... yeah. Um. Yeah, but they do call it the they call it the bump. Yeah. So they'll say to them, they'll off camera to the actors, they'll say, they'll say, okay, it's like a number, it's a number four. And then they'll say off camera, they'll go <laughs> hit. And then they all go like, oh, oh, in their seats, you know, whatever. It's pretty funny. That's funny. Yeah, there's a clip, pretty funny. There's a clip from Will Wheaton's uh, board game YouTube channel. Like, I think it was called like Geek and Sundry. Oh. I forgot what his thing was called. Yeah. And uh, him. And uh, seven or nine, Jerry Ryan were on it, and he was expressing yeah. like that. There's a doesn't matter what Star Trek show you've been on. There's like an unspoken thing that they can do, and he said that it's the thing, it's the bumps. So he just literally says, "Okay," and he goes hit, and they her and him, they're literally going like this and seats next to each other, and it's like hit, and they're all doing like the thing. It's really funny. I'll have to see if I can find it. It's really good. That's great. The Star Trek spaceship bump is one of the very few things that is the common language of Star Trek that binds every Star Trek actor together, regardless of what ship you served on. I mean, show you were on. The Enterprise flies evasively to avoid the Shepard's weapons fire. Laan asks if they should return fire, but Pike refuses, continuing to order evasive maneuvers. Laan suggests warping out and regrouping, as facing off alone would be suicide. Una is forced to agree, given the Shepard's advanced technology. Spock explains his theory that the comet was trying to communicate with them through the music they recorded, but Uhura warns the analysis of the sounds could take days. Spock points out that the comet would impact Persephone 3 in less than an hour. Pike orders phasers locked onto the Shepard's weapons and propulsion systems and has Ortegas bring them about into firing position. A single fight phaser blast scores a direct hit, forcing the Shepard's to pull back and regroup, giving the Enterprise a minute to regroup as well. Pike saw how they were able to lower the comet's shields, so asks about moving the comet itself. Ortegas is sure that the crazy space monks will destroy them if they try to move it, which sets Spock to thinking, what if the comet moved itself? Mm -hmm. Okay, here's a big meat log. Here we go. The Enterprise accelerates to full impulse and the shepherds are gaining on them. Pike asks Ortegas if she remembered how she bragged about how she'd be the best pilot to graduate the academy, saying only word gets around, at her surprised look. When Ortegas asks what his point was, Pike tells her it was time to prove it by getting them in front of that comet. Ortegas initiates an evasive pattern of her own devising, taking the ship into the comet's tail while the shepherds pursue them. Though they score several hits, the shepherds stop firing when they realize the comet is in their firing arc. The shepherds are trying to hail them, but Pike tells them not to reply yet. The only impacts the Enterprise takes now are from the cometary debris before reaching the front of the comet. 
Ortegas brings the ship about and to a full stop, and Pike orders all systems except life support disabled before responding to the shepherds. Pike offers his surrender as his ship appears to have suffered from total systems failure. When the shepherd captain asks what would happen if he didn't accept, Pike replies that the Enterprise will collide with the comet, igniting the trilithium resin in the warp core and utterly destroying it, which will also occur if the shepherds destroy the ship themselves. He asks for the shepherd's help, promising not to touch Mahani again. The shepherd captain does not reply, instead closing the channel. Una warns that Pike is taking a big gamble, of which Pike is aware. A moment later, the bluff seems to pay off. The shepherds activate a tractor beam. Okay. Yeah. So finally, finally for me in Star Trek, do we get to see like some good like space ship, like <laughs> battle yeah, like flying and and like moving like maneuverability around. and things that are yeah. important in like a spaceship. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because that was always my thing too with like Enterprise is that like they would be in these like ba- like space battles and like wars and stuff. Yeah, and they would have like they like couldn't turn, no, or like maneuver. <laughs> like the ship very much is just always like moving and it gets shot and just repeatedly gets shot. And these other ships are just like. Like shooting on top of it, and the enterprise is just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's yeah. like, dude, move. So a finally, little. so finally, we see the enterprise like you know banking and veering right. and doing these cool like maneuvers and stuff. Yeah, the the, the shot specifically where it like turns, and the blasters like go like between like the the engine cells and like the oh. the saucer like so yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, and then they're they're going through the asteroid field, and you yeah. can see like when the asteroids like bounce off the shield, like the yeah. plating as it's going through. Like I love that stuff. Yeah, it's super good. It is super good. Hey, and uh, then Spock Spock pulls a Boba Fett. Certainly does hiding on the. I think he pulls a Jango Fett, right? He's hiding on the. Yeah, I think they both do it. Yeah, yeah they probably do. <laughs> uh, Boba does it. To follow the Millennium Falcon. Oh yeah, he does do it to the follow the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. So it was a he's dirty... on a piece of junk, dirt, debris from the yeah. And it was a so it was a dirty thing that they did to me that made me think Django yeah. did it first, but really Boba did it first. Well, it yeah, it doesn't matter who did it first. It's same dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah, I was just super happy to see like space, yeah. like good space stuff. Yeah. Absolutely, no. Well, we'll see where it stands. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> Mr. Spock, you're up. Pike says, Spock is aboard the shuttlecraft Galileo, which has clung to the underside of one of the larger trunks of debris and now approaches the comet's nucleus. The shuttle's shields begin radiating heat, which causes the comet to begin to fracture. Spock maintains position, avoiding the heat shields, though is forced to avoid a large piece of the comet in very close proximity. Board the Enterprise, Una consults her console, showing that the sublimation was working. The comet's course was being diverted, and Pike notes, for the record, that they did not actually touch it, keeping his word to the shepherds. Uhura wonders what has become of Spock before a hint of static comes over the comms, followed by the sound of Spock laughing. 
Pike wonders if everything was all right, and Spock confirms it was, again noting Pike's disbelief that sometimes things go so badly that you just have to laugh, earning a chuckle from the bridge crew. Both Spock and Una observe a large quantity of water vapor entering Persephone 3's atmosphere, which would change the atmospheric composition to decrease the planet's aridity and promote plant growth, and with it, perhaps, societal development. The shepherds hail again, the captain remarking on the glory and the mercy that is Mahanit, and Pike agrees that they had witnessed a miracle. Perhaps in the future, the shepherd captain adds, the Federation would not be so quick to judge the faith of others. And now they need to not part as enemies. The crew is relieved as the channel closes. On the surface, the Deleb are amazed to see water coming from the sky and laugh with joy at the idea as the comet continues to cross the sky. Yeah, I really, I really love that Spock part where he, like the comms open and he's just laughing. <laughs> I love that. You could tell it was like a fake, you know, like he did that <laughs> just for them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I really okay. enjoyed that. Yeah, it was good. I, I, it was a good beat that they had. You could kind of feel like they were building to it. So, yeah, it was good. Yeah. Captain's log supplemental. I am left to wonder who made the comet. How many more like it are out there? Was it coincidence that fostered the chance for more life on Persephone 3 or something more? In the conference room, Uhura explains that they had already figured out how to convert musical notes to numbers, but she figured out how to turn the numbers into numerical coordinates. Pike asks if the coordinates painted a picture, and Uhura confirms it, but not just any kind of picture. It showed a star chart of its movements through the Persephone system, including a course that took it past Persephone 3, meaning it did not intend to impact the planet. If Spock had not done his work with the shuttle, however, it would have impacted the planet, and Uhura admits that this is where it got weirder. The comet's message indicated a chunk of ice that would have broken off from it as it passed by, which was completely identical in size and shape to the chunk that broke off when Spock flew his mission, which meant the comet knew about it before Spock corrected its course. The comet's trajectory and its apparent mission to seed Persephone 3 with life was apparently predicted on the idea that Spock would have to fly the shuttle to move it, meaning it had foreknowledge of the future. It knew its fate, you might say, she sums up, this strikes something of a chord with Pike, who smiles at the thought and thanks her for the report. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of cool. Yeah, it's like definitely a pretty interesting beat to have that be a thing in, for the comment. That like, which I like, is very Star Trek, where these guys come in, these shepherds come in, they're like, listen, four centuries, this is what's mm -hmm. happened, and this is blah, blah, and then everybody's like, okay, uh -huh. whatever. And then something happens and they're like, oh, maybe there's some truth to it. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I, seeing the whole interior of the comet and like how all that stuff worked, it's kind of you're like, yeah, it's it's a, it's like it's it's not a comet, really. It's a species. It's like it's a yeah, sentient it's, being, essentially. It's clearly like there's more going on here than just a weird comet. It's like, hey, it has force fields and a giant subterranean structure. And it also mm -hmm. has a weird egg inside of it and, it, and it speaks in music. Like, perhaps yeah. there's more happening here than a giant rock hurtling through space. 
<laughs> yep. Spock walks with her in the corridor, recalling what he had said about many dreaming of being in Starfleet and representing its values of selflessness, courage, and sacrifice. Uhura begins to say that she knew it shouldn't have been her down there, but Spock cuts her off, as he hadn't finished. He admits that the odds of their survival had been quite low, and that no pep talk could have increased them. He understands that she did not come to Starfleet the way many of them did, and indeed wasn't sure she wanted to stay. However, after her actions on the comet, he expresses a certainty that, should she choose to stay, Starfleet would be fortunate to have her. Uhura lets that thought sink in as Spock continues through the ship. So the thing I liked, you know, he gives a really nice, like, actual Spock speech to her. Like, yeah, I like that. And I like that when that moment happens where he's like, maybe you should stay. It was like it did that, like, like, mm -hmm." yeah, (laughs) I did like that. Yeah, Yeah, it was nice. Uh, That was pretty cute. It was pretty cool. All right. So in his cabin, Pike observes the comet continuing on its course marveling at how a little piece of ice and dust roaming through the space through space could bring life. Una bets that none of them could have predicted how, and Pike agrees. Una goes on to say that receiving a message from the future didn't mean they understood it. Pike recognizes that they were not talking about the comet anymore. Una urges him not to throw his life away. Pike thinks he accepted his fate, but Una is not convinced, asking if he might be wrong if he could save the cadets and that would be it. How did he know he couldn't make a different choice, one that would save him? What if his fate is what he made it? Alone afterwards, Pike asks the computer to bring up the files on certain Federation citizens. Dusty Swender, Tequel Dawn, Malik Al-Al-Khazar, Yuto Hoshide, and Andrea Lopez. Who are children in the present, but in the but will be Starfleet cadets in the future. And that concludes the episode. <laughs> yeah. So there we go. Yeah, so it's interesting. As you said, the comet, the shepherds, the everything is about thinking ahead and is, you know, is fate a thing? Can you avoid yeah. fate? Things of that yep. nature. So as I told you, <laughs> I think after we concluded watching the cage, I was like, hey, so they're going to tell you that uh, Pike knows his future and it's going to be a thing through the whole season. <laughs> so, yeah. Just get into it. I like it. I like it so far. Yeah, like yeah they do like... a good job at, at layering it in. Yeah, it's oh. an interesting topic. Like, if you knew, yeah, if you knew your future. Like, what would you do? Would you do anything different? And yeah, seems like even he's like reminding himself of like the kids, like constantly that, like, yeah, like yeah, am I gonna sacrifice myself or not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's cool. All right. Yeah. All right, so we're here at the awards part. 
And Caleb is going to let us know who gets the Elizabeth Cutler Award as being the most forgettable. I'll go with the security officer on that one. Laon, okay. Yeah, she came in real hot, real hot and heavy and strong and opinionated and then just did nothing. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't sure the other two I thought were maybe going to be on the table were Hemmer and our guy. Yeah, well, they set Kirk. him up. Oh, Kirk is pretty forgettable, too. Yeah, but no, no, no. I mean, it's it's what it's what you want. Yeah, I just he immediately being... like immediately <laughs> yeah. gets blown up. And <laughs> but no, we so what do you think? OK, so I'll put it to you. I don't want to influence yeah. you too bad, but you sticking with line. No, Kirk is a better choice, honestly. Oh, OK. <laughs> No, I wasn't even. I mean, honestly. So here's here's the deal. Okay. I, I wasn't even thinking about Kirk. That, I mean, that. So right there it tells you he's pretty forgettable. I forgot he was even in the episode until you just said it. <laughs> Fair enough. There you go. All right. So then, who gets the MVP award? Who gets the trip trip Tucker award? Who's the MVP? O'Hara. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, I agree. She's uh, pretty heavy in the episode, and so yeah. I like seeing her data pad too, which was cool. Yeah, Look like she's actually like writing. Yeah, that's a pretty cool touch. Like I agree. it's like a, a writing pad now. Yeah, it's like a with the stylus, and she's like writing. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. It's clearly just an Apple pen. <laughs> Didn't it look like an Apple it pencil? Did. I mean, it probably is to some degree. They probably it's just... probably a it's probably an iPad, and then they three D printed like a case that it goes and it looks like the the data pad, and then she's got the probably black screen with the writing. Yeah. Um. Okay, who gets the Shran Award? What was the best action sequence of the episode? Uh, that's gonna go to Spock. Ooh, when he flies his little shuttle oh. pilot through the comet and stuff. That's a pretty good scene. Okay, he's he's going through the comet and then he's got to like thread the needle. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's pretty good. Nice. I agree. Plus, he pulls a Boba Fett and a Jango Fett. And- <laughs> Like a covert mission, so that the other yeah. aliens don't see he's out there. Yeah, it's pretty good. And an Obi Wan. Yeah. <laughs> I just picture, I just picture, like, so you know that meme of like Obi Wan when he's in the thing. Oh yeah. He's just doing. The... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. I picture that's just Spock. Spock's doing that <laughs> when nobody's around, right? He just lets all his emotions out. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <it's awesome>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he can finally have emotion. I love it. Okay, so what what gets the NX award? What is some sweet ship stuff that happens that you like? I really got to say, like I talked a lot about how good the action scene is like out in space. But I got to say Pike's quarters and his like dining area is pretty mm. pretty sweet. It's a pretty wow. sweet addition on the ship. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, like I really it. enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it because it's you can see how like how it's not so like Archer's eating quarters is like very much like a military like okay this is where you eat it's like a table that's it (laughs) but this is like it's comfort and the Federation is more comfort now it's set up for like entertaining way back yeah so like before like with Archer it's like intimate like you get invited to the captain's quarters like it's great right because yeah. it's a close, close knit thing, but it just seems like now for Pike, it's like if you get invited to the captain's quarter, it's gonna be like a nice, like five star dinner and just like a nice like hangout section. 
Absolutely. So I yeah, I'll give it to that. I give it that. Nice. In the fireplace. Yeah. Zoom in on the fireplace. This is my yeah. favorite part. Of just that scene where he's just staring. You can see the through the fire. He's staring at like his face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, here comes your favorite part. What gets the Porthos Award? What's the cheesiest? The cheesiest part. I'd probably give that one to Lawn Security Officer. Her big like. If you guys are stop, if you guys are done whining, let's get on with the mission. Okay, that that, that so scene kind of is that pretty, che- room it's pretty cheesy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like we the updated to... spacesuits too. We didn't talk about that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We they're didn't talk sweet. about that. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're very similar to like what we have now in like our actual modern yeah. society. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty cool. As you think about it, like, which is funny because like we go from. Well, inter- enterprise suits, suits are like a to like what we have diving. now to enterprise, which has like original '60s spacesuits to now straight. <laughs> it's just like this back and forth. Thing. Yeah, the enterprise di- the suit to me was just it was just a deep sea diving suit, like from yeah. from the '40s. And I loved, I loved it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Grab Bhutan. Turn it <laughs> clockwise more. more. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Captain, I have to cut through it. <laughs> Get out of here. Go. Save yourself, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> I love that stuff. So, what gets the Enterprise Award? What's the best scene of the episode? That's got to be how Pike outsmarts the uh, shepherds and flies towards the comet, knowing that they're not going to shoot towards the comet. Mm-mm. Flying he, through the little and asteroids, he used, like the so. comet as like a yeah a safety a, safety net. Yeah, it just shows like how smart he is on on a dime too, because like he knows he can't he can't outgun him, he can't outrun him. But he says, like, if we hide on the comet, they're not going to shoot at us. They're not going to essentially, right. like, try to, like, hurt the comet. So, I guess it's pretty smart. I like it. I like it, too. Yeah. Very good. Well, that was our award section. It's either that or the rain. <laughs> <laughs> it's just oh. that. Oh, the sky is crying. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what crying is. Uh, <laughs> we don't have tears. We are reptilian aliens. Thank you. <laughs> we have no idea. So We've next, never seen the water before. Yeah. <laughs> next week's episode, yeah, will be episode three of Strange New Worlds, entitled "Ghosts of Illyria." Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I feel like we do this every week. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's gonna be funny because all these they sound good, and then you'll get ones, and it'll be like mm. backdoor friend. <laughs> you'll be like, "What does that mean?" <laughs> I don't think that's right. Oh, <laughs> box shorts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh. the really funny thing is, is as uh, in in uh, Kirk's uh, era, 
the very like Shakespearean titles, which are really funny. Mm-hmm. It's always like he who weeps the most is the strongest among the fellows. It's like <laughs> that's so true. Wow. Yeah. That's really so funny. that's the thing I I always like, and you know some some of the <laughs> some of the shows still try to borrow that type of feel, uh-huh. but but yeah, like all almost I don't say all of them like. 60% of them are all like that. I'm trying to remember uh, titles like Enterprise episodes that were like very long, and I don't remember. No, really they're long. all like one or two, two word ones. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, next week we will be covering <laughs> episode two, Ghost of Valyria. And uh, this is the part where we conclude. And so, if you liked what you liked, like the video. If you didn't like what you saw, dislike that video. Subscribe for more content. Ring that bell for notifications because we're doing weekly things. And a cool thing is, if you like Star Trek uh, stuff soon, probably in a couple weeks, there may be some uh, live play of Caleb and I and a couple other friends of ours playing the Star Trek Adventures RPG. Stick close to the channel to see yep. that when it gets released when we get together and record it so it'll be a little bit before that happens but in the meantime you can go over to Caleb's channel and you can watch him build props uh 3D print things paint them mm-hmm. and uh get together some good ideas he's doing he's doing a uh, Pokemon got to print them all yeah right now so that's been pretty cool that's very intermittent <laughs> yeah I knew it was going to be a large, a large project. The, the problem is, is that when I hit certain ones that I, I don't care about, it's just like, yeah, the slog. Yeah. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I did like Pidgey. It's just like, I, I almost I wonder care about when you said Pidgey. that in your video. Uh, no, you didn't say it in your video. You posted about it. I was thinking maybe, maybe it would the thing to alle- alleviate the boredom of, printing uh pokemon that you're not exactly like thrilled to do like pidgeys and yeah. is perhaps just what you focus on to make it more fun for you is like the terrain the terrain is like mm-hmm. super detailed and fun for you and then you just yeah like, i know so it's hard too because like once i get like them all done i want the thing to kind of flow mm together yeah so it's yeah, like yeah. already i have a couple that like the terrain is more like detailed obviously on the ones i care oh, about okay and then like they just kind of get plain <laughs> well, that's okay i think i think as you go along you'll know which ones are you'll need to put put around so maybe like yeah. mr mime and jinx will be just be on grass and you can mash those guys up close to yeah or something that's know? what's that's what's funny too is like when i'm looking for like references and stuff and like kind of based on like games so it's oh, like, oh, yeah. okay, so where are the? Oh, they're all found in tall grass. Tall grass. And there's like a few of them that are like in mountains and caves and then yeah. water, obviously. But right, right. that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so on top of, on top of uh, you know, making things, um, they're also, we also do podcast type things over on his channel, the Nerd Holes, where we've been, we've been covering Indiana Jones. Uh, we just did uh, across the Spider Verse, yep. and we're gonna do the new Indiana Jones, and we have some other series in the in the in the making, and then somewhere down the line, you know, we'll have other ideas and we whatever kind of is either just interesting to us at the time, or sometimes uh, new movies coming out that has a long it's a long franchise and we haven't watched it like James Bond, Indiana Jones, 
Star Wars, things of that nature. We'll go back. Let's watch everything. Jurassic Park. Let's go watch everything before we go see the new movie in theaters. So yeah, it's kind of the things to look out for. But just like this, every month we're doing Dragon Ball. Period. Yeah. Dragon Ball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that that comes out on the 19th, Monday, the 19th. It's coming out a couple weeks. Uh next Monday. So no, next Monday. Yeah. Yeah. So from my scheduling. Oh, you if, already if everything day. goes well and I edit this well and I have the time to edit it, you should be able to go onto his channel tomorrow and watch it. Yeah. So yeah, and that, that's a fun series. Just like this, with like it's my first time going through all of Star Trek. This is Will's first time going through Dragon Ball into Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. So yeah, I want to pole fun. extend. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I love it so much, but I really do. The power pole is great. I mean, that's it's one of those things where like the Nimbus cloud and the power pole kind of yeah fades out of existence. You know, I can imagine <laughs> because once you become like. Cool super powerful and glowing and lightning bolts come out of you right and really don't need a power pole or and you can just fly, fly whenever you want you can to fly yeah yeah really. <laughs> so it's over nine enjoy 000. it while you can is what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> this has been the retrek review we appreciate you sticking around and watching all the way through and uh we look forward to being here next week when we'll cover next week's episode thanks for watching <laughs> see ya see ya You can either watch everybody else or you can join our Federation of Nerd Holes (laughs) and reach for our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hello there. This is Lieutenant Commander Wilbur reporting in. Just have a few words that my commanding officer wanted to share with you. That the Retrack Review is a Vietnam Capta podcast and is produced in association with the Plastic Underground Props. Hosted by Caleb Stoddard and Will Wilbur. Edited by Will Wilbur. Our intro song is by Kaylee Joy Rookledge. Our theme song is by Samo Studios. And our outro song is by Tommy T. Title card art created by Caleb Stoddard. Trophy art created by Adri Wilbur of Love by the Letters. Synopsis and written plot provided by MemoryAlpha.com. Star Trek is created by Gene Roddenberry. And all official clips and pictures are owned by Paramount Pictures. You can follow us at... Plastic Underground Props and Via Non Capta on Instagram and YouTube. Thanks for watching as always, and keep an eye out because you never know what's going to happen. All right, everyone, welcome to the Retrek Review. My name is Caleb. This is my co host, Will. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, Funny. Well, let me do that again because I meant to say the other way around, and then I just went with it. Okay, wow, that was funny. I, 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 I love Star Trek. I everything about Star Trek is my favorite. I wish <laughs> I could talk more about Star Trek. I'm starting a new channel. It has but about, I, only about Star but, Trek, but I can't. <laughs>
<laughs> but I'm not allowed to. Wow, that's hilarious. I think I looked at your name and my brain was like, not your name now. <laughs> I thought you were doing a bit. I, <laughs> I wish I really was. I just I just went with it. No, I just went with it. That makes it even funnier. No, I can't. I can't make that work. It's too weird. No. Can't swing it. We we haven't had that many episodes yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You you figured it out. Yeah, you figured it out. <laughs>